write a little letter, gonna mail it to my local DJ. It's a rockin' little record, I want my jockey to play. Roll over, Beethoven, gotta hear it again today. In this episode of The Culture Quest, we enjoy some of our favorite quotes in the Tavern Talk segment. Our main discussion is about the five symphonies that Barrio's mom has chosen for us, and we finish by previewing our next episode, which is going to be a side quest about the Anthropocene. Hello, and welcome to The Culture Quest. We are but humble adventurers, and today we bite more than we can chew. With me, as always, are Peter. Hello. And Barrio. Hello. And I am Inanna. Thank you, the listeners at home, for taking part in our noble quest. Today we're doing um, this classical music extravaganza. Well, let me tell you a quick story um, that kind of ties in with today's subject. Um, so as you know, we're all uh, having this kind of um, isolation, social distancing right now due to the um, COVID-19 virus that's um, out there. And, uh, well, I've been trying to keep myself fairly busy, and um, a few days ago I had a few hours with kind of nothing to do. So I, you know, without really thinking about it, I kind of started playing around with setting up a stream on YouTube that plays podcasts, so, you know, kind of um, to keep you company, in a way. That's so sad. So we won't feel so alone. Make background noises. It's kind of like leaving the TV on when going to sleep. Yeah, <laughs> leaving the TV on for a dog. <laughs> yeah. um, I was experimenting with um, setting up the stream, and I was testing stuff with um, our first episode, where we introduced the podcast and we talked about Mel Brooks, the producers. And, um, you know, it was running in the background, and then I noticed that we, when we introduced the podcast, kind of talked about what we're going to do, we talked about, you know, what kind of things we can talk about on the podcast. And uh, we said something along the lines of, uh, we'll do music albums, we'll talk about movies, we'll talk about books, and who knows, maybe one day we'll do something really cultural and listen to classical music. <laughs> well, today's that day. <laughs> uh, full circle. Yeah, definitely. Um, and we'll get to that in a little while, but before we do, we like to have ourselves some tavern talk. Um, in this week's Tavern Talk, uh, we've decided to talk about favorite quotes. Uh, we each brought a quote to discuss, and um, honestly, I can't wait to see what you guys chose to bring up, because um, we said it could be kind of an inspirational quote. We said it could be a funny quote, something you live by, or really anything. Um, so, who wants to go first? I'll go first. My quote is from Daniel Dennett. Does anyone know Daniel Dennett? Doesn't sound familiar. No. He's a philosopher. He's... Um, one of the four horsemen of atheism or something like that. But um, mm. that is by far his worst appearance, I would say. He's written so many good books that don't ever get mentioned, but he's only ever mentioned as one of the four horsemen. So I'm, gonna, I'm going to give a quote from his book, Freedom Evolves. Here it is. Every living thing is, from a cosmic perspective, incredibly lucky simply to be alive. Most, 90% or more, of all the organisms that have ever lived have died without viable offspring, but not a single one of your ancestors going back to the dawn of life on Earth suffered that normal misfortune. You spring from an unbroken line of winners going back millions of generations, and those winners were, in every generation, the luckiest of the lucky, one out of a thousand or even a million. So however unlucky you may be on some occasion today, your presence on the planet testifies to the role luck has played in your past. Wow. Yeah, beautiful. Yeah. It ticks all the boxes. It's pretty powerful. It encapsulates everything to do with life. And it makes you feel pretty good. So everyone's yeah. a winner. <laughs> wow, yeah. Hmm. Really makes you think. We're so lucky. It Obviously, like, it couldn't not be the case. Yeah. But no. it still sounds interesting. Like... You can never say, like, oh, yeah, my dad never had any children. That wouldn't make sense. But, um, <laughs> you know, it's still, you have to actually think about it. Like, oh, yeah, all my ancestors would have had to be in the lucky ones. So, And all of their ancestors would have had to be in the lucky ones and so on. So It kind of makes me think how random it is for, you know, like the three of us living in the same time and coming together. It's like a little change somewhere back in time could have changed everything like we take we take this for granted but we are kind of in a way lucky to be here it is huh. but the thing is the people that weren't lucky enough can't ever talk about not being lucky enough so 
only the people who are lucky enough can talk about how lucky they are to be lucky enough to be able to talk about how lucky they are. So yeah, it's um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's, it's, it's a weird, like, like, selection bias. Yeah, it reminds me. I think also uh, Stephen Hawking had a similar approach regarding the existence of, of uh, life in this universe because, like, it, it requires the smallest change in any physical constant in, in the universe will, will probably make the universe just collapse upon itself or, or, or maybe just get too big uh, so it will pretty much be empty and life could never exist. And the fact that... There is this very infinitesimal chance that you'll have those constants right is required in order to even start asking the question about which constants you actually need in order to have a life-sustaining uh, universe. So it's kind of the same thing. You need the right condition in order to ask the question about the right conditions, right? Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. Unless, unless you subscribe to the many worlds hypothesis where a lot of people do actually i don't think dennett does but there's um roger penrose i think he's the most famous but um pretty much all the possible constants would have occurred in the multiverse so essentially there would be infinite take a few million examples where the universe just wouldn't have formed and then the few however many universes had the right conditions to form life which obviously you need something to um, be a replicator, then those few um, universes can talk about how lucky they are. But then again, it would be inevitable. If everything was going to happen, then everything's inevitable. So it, it just becomes confusing, doesn't it? Yeah. But I, I got to say, it's, I think it's, it's a, cool, a cool way of, of looking at things. Yeah. Like to understand that, uh, like what you said about the multiverse, that everything that can or can't happen will probably will happen i think in in the uh, in the infinite scale right um, I've, I've got another quote actually which um i've only just thought of but um it was talked about on another podcast but um and i don't know who it's from it, it, the quote is um how lucky of some people to never been born like would um would that be what one in a thousand to be so lucky hmm. it just <laughs> it's just a funny quote because it's like to not being born it's a hard concept to Wrap your head around. Yeah, and and how do you quantify the the number of people that aren't being born? Yeah, that's the funny bit of it, I guess. Yeah, Barry, do you want to go next? Well, uh, a couple of months ago, I had um, I was in a um, in a crossroad of my career where where I had to to think if I'm staying in my current job or maybe taking another leap to to start something that's pretty much uh, uh, brand new and kind of leaving everything behind. And, and part of that question was like joining forces with, uh, with someone that I really, I really, really do respect, but, but, but had a couple of, of issues that um, I, I came to be aware of from very closely. And I, I, I was really confused for um about two weeks or, or even more, but it seemed like forever because I changed my mind pro probably a, like on an hourly basis. So, and each decision would kind of shatter the world, right? It's like, I'm leaving everything behind. I'm starting something new. No, I'm staying here and I'm, and I'm missing this opportunity. And it was very, very confusing. And I think I just, I, I went through Reddit at some point and I got to this place of, of interesting quotes. And again, there were probably a lot of much better ones, but one of them caught my eye. It was, um, to forgive is divine, but never pay a full price for a late pizza. <laughs> <laughs> and I really like that one because it's true, like to forgive is divine, you know, it's a very Christian thing to say, but it's hard to forgive. It's hard to give someone another honest opportunity to to prove to prove himself to believe in someone that that once hurt you but 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 it's kind of stupid to ignore to ignore the past like you yeah. have to you have to take that in mind when when doing some decisions i mean that's that's the way not to repeat certain mistakes and um and and oddly enough i think that that uh reading that quote and kind of kind of being amused by it in a very in a very serious time kind of took me on the path that that eventually I decided um I, I mean I got other info afterwards uh, about a lot of things but eventually I decided 
not to go after that uh, that opportunity but um <laughs> but it it amuses me how it feels like that quote started it all huh yeah all right it's a cool quote i love quotes that have um like an element of novelty in it like the pizza part of it yeah yeah <laughs> huh. it's very charming yeah i think that's what spoke to me too like there's something very very high and mighty with uh to forgive is divine but then you you kind of take it to the uh to the day-to-day uh practical aspects of it and and you're you're not going to pay a full price for a late pizza when you have a big decision to make always turn to the pizza yeah <laughs> that's a pretty cool quote like you know let go of the bad feelings but don't forget like learn from it i like it yeah huh, cool you know and you're up okay here it is if your cucumber is bitter throw it away <laughs> it's a quote but no i'm kidding sounds familiar uh, <laughs> <laughs> no definitely definitely not that i thought uh, it was a lemon was it not a lemon is it, is it from shrek <laughs> if your sandwich is bitter oh yeah no but here's my real quote um it's a quote by charles darwin um so Ooh. the language is a bit old-fashioned um oh yeah here it is i had during many years followed a golden rule namely that whenever a published fact a new observation or thought came across me which was opposed to my general results to make a memorandum of it without fail and at once. For I had found by experience that such facts and thoughts were far more apt to escape from the memory than favorable ones. What do you guys think? I love Charles Darwin. I'll say that. Well, that's why we yeah. built a university um, named after him. And when I mean we, obviously, like not me personally, yeah. but <laughs> when I mean we, I mean people I don't know and couldn't name a single one of. Um, but, <laughs> but yeah, it was a team effort. No, um, he's he's a uh, he's a smart dude, as I'm sure there's a, probably a plaque that says it in that building somewhere. Basically, this quote talks about kind of how biased we are towards our own thoughts and beliefs. You know, in a way that we when we're represented with new information that contradicts our thoughts and beliefs, we tend to kind of dismiss them. Yeah, you know. It's really easy to have your opinion and ignore everything that goes against it. It's really about the scientific method, right? Yeah, that that's kind of like in the basis of it. Yeah, this is the scientific method. Like always, um, you know, be open to new results, to new data, to new information. But I think it, I think it fits everyday life because like, you know, anything at all, if someone has a different opinion than yours, you might find that they have a point or, you know, that you might agree with them or with some of their arguments and kind of adjust your opinion accordingly. Or if you have a certain method of doing something and you see some someone doing it differently, maybe try and learn from it. You, you might improve your own method. Maybe you'll learn something from it. And uh, you know, on the other hand, completely, even if you're certain that, that this new or different opinion is just wrong, it's still important to give it some thought and figure out why it's wrong. So you could you could learn and avoid making that mistake down the road or you know, explain why it's wrong if you're asked. I think it's, like you've said, it's basically the the scientific method, but I think everyone can make something out of it in their own lives. I agree. Yeah. I think that quote is is like, well, the gist of it, at least, uh, is, is so important. It should be written in a lot of places. Like, I think, I yeah. think I'm going to print it out and kind of, you know, uh, put it in, in my, uh, well, everyone should put it in, in their uh, place of work where, well, we all work from home now, but uh, <laughs> so print it and put it in your house. Because like, once you remember that you're prone to, to be, uh, uh, to be blinded by your ego, right. And, and kind of ignore things yeah. that you don't want to want to accept, um, then you're, you'll probably not, well, at least you won't make the best choice. You'll probably, not necessarily the bad one, but you you won't make the yeah. best choice. And, and that kind of kind of harm you. Yeah, and I think that if, if you add to that the fact that Darwin, kind of, you know, an accomplished scientist came up with that quote, it gives it kind of a, a bit more weight. It, it shows how universal that quote is. The fact that he's someone whose writings have changed the scientific world and he acknowledges that he may be wrong. Some some people, you know, like see themselves as an authority, and thus they kind of tend to think that they know everything. But no, everyone can be wrong. Everyone can learn from something new, from from new information. I really like this quote. I like. I, I try to keep it, you know, in the back of my mind at all times. And um, I think more people should know about this quote and act upon it. Yeah, Peter, you wanna go for another quote? I do, actually, and I've told you this one before, and you know the 
person who said it, but I don't. I can't remember his name. Okay. It goes like this. Um, if you're flammable and have legs, you can never block a fire exit. <laughs> Who's that by? Barrio, do you know who said that? The sentence continues, as if there was a fire, I wasn't going to run away. It's really good. <laughs> Is that Mitch Hedberg? Perfect, Barrio. Well done. I knew it. It, it, sounds, it sounds exactly like his jokes. <laughs> Mitch Hedberg, he's a comedian. I think he died like 10 or 15 years ago. His stand-up comedy is basically a lot of one-liners like this one. And um, he's the first stand-up comedian I ever listened to. And uh, he really got me into the, the whole stand-up thing. Like, I've, I've listened to a bunch of stand-up comedy. I know the material of a few comedians. And, like, he was my entry point to stand-up comedy. I haven't really got into him too much, to be honest. I, I remember I've gone through YouTube after you told me about him and I kind of enjoyed a lot of his one-liners, but I like that one in particular mm-hmm. because it's like, it, to me, it's just like exercise your common sense. Like it's yeah. often we sort of get into patterns and, or we get told something by a superior or something like that. But like, this is just like, just use, use your common sense. You know, like, you know, if someone, if someone's blocking the fire exit, <laughs> you can't, you're, you're obviously going to run if there's a fire. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> Yeah, it's a bit like a, a rebel against sort of just unnecessary red tape, you know? Yeah. Anything else before we move into the main discussion? <laughs> can I do one more? <laughs> <laughs> we can have a whole episode just about your quotes, Peter. Well, <laughs> the thing is, right, I didn't plan on the second one or, or the third one, but <laughs> in our conversations, I've actually like, I've just stumbled upon what I want to say. I've got a book open, actually. It's by David Mitchell um, called Dishonesty is the Second Best Policy and Other Rules to Live By. It's really good. <laughs> it's a little bit. Um, I've told you about this, right, Anon? It's in my uh, to-read list, yeah. Yeah, it's probably um, it's probably a little bit too British-centric for most people. But to be honest, like as an Australian, you're always reading American things and you sort of have to just get over like, the country of origin like when i read a british thing i just pretend i'm british you know i just think oh well <laughs> i'll just get it you know but um yeah it, there's a lot of great stuff from britain and after reading uh douglas adams i think um yeah i think i'm going to be reading a lot of british stuff but this is um from a chapter in his book called a look at some high arts such as opera some slightly less high art such as photography and some other stuff that you may or may not think of as art so let's just call them non-sciences Now, I'll get to the quote. (laughs) Okay. Um, It's like a bacon sandwich winning the tastiest apple award at a farm show. Comedies aren't as easily defined as sandwiches and apples. I'm sure there's some deliberate humor in The Martian, so maybe that means it's a comedy. And the award, after all, is for best comedy, not funniest comedy. Maybe after that, funny stuff in the other films made the Hollywood Foreign Press Association feel cheap. But all of these problems stem from trying to divide things into meaningful groups. Sports, calls to prayers, comedy, tragedies, films, YouTube clips. What is a call to prayer but a noisy sport without a scoring system? What is a drama but an unbelievably long comedy without any jokes? What is an awards ceremony but a strange and inefficient distribution system for vulgar knickknacks? Well, some would say it's a comedy. Some a drama. Some with what all the getting up and, and down a sport. It's certainly a call to prayer for many nominees. A spoon is just an ineffective fork with a single blunted tine. A fork is just a spoon with annoying holes that inhibit soup consumption. What is a soup but a liquid mousse? And isn't a steak and chips just a very hearty, lumpy consomme? Or a hot and greasy weapon? or a work of modern art, or a weirdly meaty non-dairy cheese. So the big question I posed, does the big question I posed have an answer? No, but actually no is an answer, and a word, and a thing. (laughs) (laughs) Wow, that's great. I loved it. Yeah, I also loved the way you read it. (laughs) Well, I've... (laughs) Okay, so I've got the audio book on Audible, which I've listened to a hundred times, and then I've got the physical book, which I always bring to work because it's just nice. If you've had a bad day, you can just read it at lunch. And then I've got it on the Kindle because, well, I'm just a psychopath. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. We can go into the main discussion or maybe just stick with some more quotes by Peter. <laughs> <laughs> I'm all out. I'm all out. So. You know what, Peter? If you f- during the main section, if, if you feel the need to bring any more quotes regarding what we talk about, feel free. Yeah, just stop us. Oh, 
Thanks, guys. <laughs> Never needed permission, but oh. <laughs> <laughs> the quote guy. <laughs> the quote yeah. guy. Yeah. Then I'll have to stop being the really smart intellectual one. So, oh well. <laughs> So, in the past two weeks, we've been listening to my mom's five top symphonies, and we were preparing this amazing, very intriguing episode about classical music from different composers from, from uh, well, pretty much the same time, but, um, mm-hmm. but like something that will pretty much blow your mind. And the truth is, is that we definitely beat more than we can chew. Yep. Yeah, we all had the feeling that we're not really equipped to handle something in the magnitude of a musical classical symphony. I hope that some of you like heard maybe some uh, before listening listening to this. Um, and unless you're probably very uh, professional in your uh, in your musical knowledge, you probably felt kind of like us, where it's amazing, it's beautiful, it's overwhelming. And you're not entirely sure what to make of it because it's so complicated. It's so, it's so full of emotions that, that it's pretty much hard to analyze in, well, we do have some, some knowledge, but this is like two steps, uh, well, thousand steps pretty much ahead of us. Um, I think he can just say we're unenlightened. Yeah, yeah. You know, from all our episodes, the preparation for this one kind of made me realize how much uncultured I am because <laughs> I really kind of lack the tools to, to fully understand it. And even when I started to read about the different uh, symphonies, I was like, Oh yeah, that's that's right. I can relate to that. I, I understand that. But I would, in a million years, well, at least you know how I feel now, could have guessed um, could have guessed that that interpretation. I think the way I see it, you know, because we don't listen to classical music and we're not experts, or you know, we're not even very familiar with classical music. It's like listening to a story told in another language. Like you can hear the tonality of the words. You can hear the kind of the mood of the speaker. But you can't make the, the, the story out. You can't make the uh, moral out of it, you know? It's, it's just overwhelming. Each symphony is big. Each symphony has a lot in it. And just to process it is, is extremely hard. And that's why, I don't know, when, when I was reading about the symphonies, you always see how, they, they always mention how people reacted after the symphony premiered, after it was played for the first time. And I'm thinking to myself, how can they form opinions of it so quickly? It takes a few listens to just know what to expect to hear. You know, you know like I think that the main gist of the, of, of the piece is kind of is there. Like it takes you through different stages, like all of them. Um, they got like different chapters and each one kind of tells something else. Mm-hmm. And I think that when you're talking about the main theme, like what that chapter tries to tell you, it's kind of it's kind of there in the open. Like you can understand the, the main plot. Well, it, it's it may be hard to follow, but like for each given moment, you understand what what they're telling you. But I don't know what I felt most of the time is that I'm kind of missing everything else. Like I, that's the only thing, only thing that I that I can get my my grasp on. Okay, now I don't know. It's uh, we're escaping something. It's really rhythmic, and I hear uh, the drums behind me, and uh, there's uh, violins that kind of open the way uh, up ahead, and and that that was kind of the feeling that I got. But around that, there were so many motives that I felt that I, I'm not able to even start understanding and appreciating. It's kind of like looking at a movie and missing all the the small references, the small homages. Sometimes maybe even like main plot points. Yeah, yeah, like a lot of maybe hints that, that kind of point towards the other parts of the movie. And those are the things that, that make you appreciate a piece yeah. as a whole, like the genius of it, because you understand it's not only the thing that that sits in plain sight but it's something much much deeper and, and had a lot of thought um, put into it yeah exactly what did you think Peter how was uh, how was your experience listening to classical music for the last two couple of weeks well when I said it to my friends actually they were like oh you're dreading this one aren't you and I said no because I'd already listened to them all um, just like once through 
and it was just like I had them on when I was just sitting at my desk, and it's so sort of it's very atmospheric when you're listening to classic music, like when you're listening to regular like hip hop or classic rock or something like that. It's just it's just a song, really. But this really puts you in a mood more than a lot of other songs. Like other songs, when I'm listening to like Led Zeppelin or something like that, which are a great band, I'm listening to them and I kind of the the vibe of the song sort of rubs off on me a little bit. But classical music, in my um, experience, just whatever was on at that point, that was the mood. So if I was listening to are we calling him Dirac? Let's check this out. Wait. Antonin Dvorak. Antonin Dvorak. 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 Oh, boy. Okay. Any, any chance uh, we're going to cut out my first attempt? <laughs> 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 well, we're not now, are we? <laughs> Dvorak? Yeah, seems okay. so. Okay. All right. So when I was listening to like Dvorak or something like that, I really felt like I was in the grips of like an action movie or something like that. You know, I felt like sometimes I would, I would just be like doing basic work or something like that, scrolling Reddit or something. And I'm like, wow, this is intense, isn't it? Like, this is like, I felt like I was sweating and, you know, yeah. I, was, I, I was like, what's going on? But I would never get that from an intense rock song. Never get that. And the thing is like, I don't know how famous these people are. I know obviously Beethoven is well known, but I'm not really familiar with the others. So this is sort of like a first dip, like toe in the water for me. So I'd love to sort of, mm. like once we do these, I'd love to eventually do like maybe classical music version two and we do another five and eventually we sort of have like a bit of a series where we kind of build them up because I feel like I've had such a good time yet. I feel like I've only dipped my toe in the water and I've had such a good time. So um, there's lots more out there, I'm sure. Yeah, cool. I found myself, I can listen to a bunch of music when I'm working. So I listen to sometimes two or three symphonies a day uh, off of the, this list that we've uh, compiled. And, um, you know, some of them are more accessible and catchy mm. uh, than others. But totally. um, the thing that helped me the most was that I already have some experience with classical music, like Beethoven's Fifth and Dvorak's Ninth, the New World Symphony, both were on our list. Are two that I've I was already pretty familiar with them. I kind of I could have recognized each and every part of them, each and every sure. movement of them, without the rest yeah. of them. Uh, the other three. You're so cultured, you know. Yeah. <laughs> well, when I was I don't know, like ten years ago, I listened to I started listening to classical music, and I got myself a book. It's called Music and Appreciation, and it goes over kind of all the periods of art. Like um, it starts with. Uh, medieval music and then it goes into baroque and then classical and then romantic and then modern and postmodern and world music and it kind of tells you what to listen with each and every one and it shows you examples and kind of what's the difference between the different periods and stuff that's awesome yeah uh, so i have some some experience but even with that uh, i'll talk about it a little later when we um, talk specifically about each one each symphony but some of them just didn't click for me. Okay. Barry, do you want to go over the list of um, symphonies we've been listening uh, to? Okay, so let's go through the the symphonies that my mom recommended. Um, we'll start with uh, with Brahms Third. Uh, it was composed in 1883. It was part of the Romantic period. It's not the longest one. It's 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 one of the shorter ones on the list. Yeah. Then there's the Project Ninth, the New World Symphony. Yeah, it's called the New World or From the New World. Yeah, that's the uh, names it's known by. From 1893, uh, again in the Romantic period. Then there's Mahler's First, that he composed between 1887 to 1888, again in the Romantic yeah. period. Uh, we got uh, we got Beethoven Fifth. Probably one of the most familiar. Um, dun, 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 most dun. Yeah, nailed it. That's the oldest symphony we've uh, been listening to. Yeah, uh, from it was composed between 1804 to 1808, uh, from the classical period. And the last one is Sibelius Second, uh, uh, that was between 1902 to 1904, the end of the Romantic period and the beginning of the modern. Period. Um, oh, let's go. Let's start with um, Barrio. What? What? Uh, out of these five, what would you rank as number five? The, the one you've connected to the least. Um. Well, it's a bit hard 
and I'm not uh, completely agreeing with myself, but I think, I mean, I loved all of them. I think all of them are brilliant. I think I got the list related to Sibelius second, um, and that's probably because I I didn't hear it as much because I had this playlist that I made and, and, and Sibelius second is at the end, so I, I heard it the least. Um, probably it, it has also because it kind of have like a very different vibe from from the rest. Peter, what about you? What would you rank as a number five? My number five. Well, all of mine were close, but uh, they were only close between like fourth and fifth, third and fourth, second and third, first and second. Like if I compare number one to number five, it's it's a no competition. So um, mm-hmm. my number five was also Sibelius's second. And hmm. um, it's interesting. The reason why I put it last was I still enjoyed it, but only only I liked it. I didn't love it, and it, it didn't feel as let me say it didn't feel as thematic as some of the others. I felt hmm. it was okay. it was broken, like the theme sort of shifted a little bit um, in a few parts, and I couldn't really get like the narrative that was present in at least the first three and the fourth had i would say um more of a definitive feel to it than sibelius i don't know if it was because it's one of the later ones but i i probably wouldn't listen to this too often and because of that obviously i listened to my favorites more often and this one was sort of at the bottom of the list and i didn't didn't get into it as much so that was my number five yeah okay cool um, my number five is Sibelius Second. Wow. <laughs> huh. Um, I kind of agree with you guys. I, like you said, Peter, I listened to the ones I liked more, more than the others. But I tried to pick Sibelius Second up more, uh, near the end of these two couple of weeks because I wanted to give it a fair chance. And it's definitely beautiful. Uh, like when I sat and listened to it with no distractions, and I definitely enjoyed it. But it kind of didn't catch my attention as much as the others. Like, there was less to to hold on to with this one. I liked it, but I still think it's the one I... Out of these five, ranked at the bottom. Let's see if uh, we keep uh, this consistency up, if we choose the exact same list. Barrio, what's your uh, number four? My number four... And again, I, I... I really liked it, but uh, just because I have I have to rank is Mahler's first. I think it was brilliant. I really like the the violins there. Um, I, I don't know. I don't I don't really have anything bad to say about it. Just like if I look at the other at the other three, I just like them better. Yeah, Peter. My uh, fourth was Mahler's first. Huh. <laughs> this is incredible, actually. Um, I just felt like it's um it, it had more of the narrative which I didn't get from Sibelius but it wasn't as powerful as the other three to me. Yeah. It just yeah. It, it really lacked power. Sibelius actually probably had more drive in it. I felt like there were some moments which were really nice in Sibelius whereas um Mailer was more consistent but it was it was um it just it didn't really hook me in. Yeah. Huh. My number 4 is Mahler's first. No way! This is incredible. <laughs> and actually, Peter, you, you described exactly my feelings. Like, I really like this one. It's beautiful. It's just not as powerful as the next three. It's not as... Like, the, the next three are just exciting. Yeah. And uh, do you mind if I play a couple of sound samples from this? Sure. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe the thing I liked the most about this is the first movement, which builds up very slowly but beautifully, and it's like it's worth your patience because, like, after a few minutes, I don't really maybe four or five, I don't remember how many minutes, but it becomes very lively and fun. Like, um, here's here's a sound clip. Feels like dancing. Ah, the violins. Beautiful. Very cohesive, isn't it? Really, nothing bad to say about this one. Cool. Uh, Barrio, 
What's your number three? My number three is Beethoven's Fifth. Maybe now we'll we'll make the podcast stop being so boring by agreeing with each other all the time. <laughs> uh, my my number three is uh, Beethoven's Fifth. Um, it's uh, it's amazing. It's powerful. It's it's um, it's really it really gets you. But I'm I was also kind of familiar with it. And um, but like Beethoven Fifth is, is just you know is it's it's kind of like Meryl Streep. It's 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 not surprising that it's not it's so good. It, it, it does. <laughs> you you kind of expect it to be that that amazing. So um, so yeah, it's just the number three. Yeah, cool, Peter. What's yours? Uh, what's your number three? Well, I'll say the fourth and fifth were solid likes, but these top three are loves. Like I really love these ones, and um, my. Third was Dvorak's ninth, New World Sympathy. So, um, so um, not the same as Barrios. It is not the same as Barrios. Hallelujah. Um, For a surprise. Okay, cool. Dvorak's ninth um, really reminded me of sort of like an action film, had sort of elements of like a Batman chase going on. And what I really liked was it sort of it built up over time and it just became more intense, more intense, and there was repeating elements that kind of came up in sort of subtle, subtly different instruments that were yeah. sort of repeating, and um, this was really enjoyable. I didn't, I, I didn't really hook onto it at first, but after a few listens, you sort of get the hang of it a little bit, and and you sort of know what to expect, and then it gets better. So. Um, that was number three. Yeah, in um, the Dvorak's ninth, you can really hear themes repeating, especially I think in the fourth movement, you hear a lot of the earlier themes from the first, second, and third movement repeating, sometimes in a different key, uh, like from minor to major or, or yeah. vice versa, and sometimes on different um, instruments and like in different contexts, and it's just very nice, yeah. beautiful. Um, well, my number three, I'll, I'll talk about Beethoven's fifth and Dvorak's ninth some more later, because my number three is Brahms third, um, mm. which I think this, we, we haven't agreed on number three at all. Yeah. Because now it will become interesting for the two best. Yeah. I thought Brahms three was, you know, exciting. It, it had this feeling of longing that always kind of, I, I just love, I love this kind of feeling. I really like this symphony, but what stood out to me and I, I'll keep listening to is the third movement, which I'm going to play just the 21st seconds or so. I think this was the best part of the symphony. Yeah, it's, like, it's a bit sad. It's haunting. It, it makes me think of castles in winter. That's the words that come to my mind when I'm trying to capture the feeling that this gives me. It reminds me of kind of the, the Beauty and the Beast and maybe older Disney films. Yeah. And it also really reminded me um, a lot of one of my favorite albums. It's called um, Dusk and Her Embrace by a band called Cradle of Filth, which is a, a metal band which... Most of their albums are meh, but I really love this one album. It's very melodic, has kind of the same feeling of longing that this symphony has. And I don't know, the the whole symphony is amazing, but this third movement is just, I don't know, just a step above the rest. Well, if you like it so much, why is it your number three and on? <laughs> mm, just wait what he has to say about uh, the number two, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. loves number two. Peter, uh, Barrio, what's your number two? Uh, my number two is the Dvorak's New World Symphony. The way it's building, maybe you know, it, it maybe also depends on uh, on the actual uh, listening session I had with it. But I was uh, I was able to be very into it. Like I dove really deep into it, and and um, I I really felt on a journey. Right, I, I felt that it took me to to a new world. Right, <laughs> yeah. So I, I just uh, I just loved it. You know, like I'm I'm trying. That's what I I said at the beginning. I'm trying to like describe what I loved about it, like the parts and how it made me feel. But 
I, I don't have the uh, I don't have the ways to to uh, express to express it that's very frustrating I don't I don't I don't feel like I have this uh, restriction in, in any well at least not in any uh, common uh, subject that that I have in my life and that's weird like it makes me don't 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 use words, Barrio. Express your feelings with dance. In a song. <laughs> uh, but, but, you know, that's, that's the cool thing about, about this culture quest, because I want to develop the tools to express what those yeah. things uh, make me feel. Peter, number two. My number two is Brahms third. And I totally agree with everything you said. You did a good summary, but it's, um, it's, it's not too long, short, sweet, but... This one evoked probably even more so than my number one, which you'll be able to figure out by the laws of deduction. Um, it actually brought out probably more um, imagery, um, whereas number one brought out more emotion. This one brought out more imagery for me, and it really reminded me of sort of like a panoramic drone footage of a um, of a abandoned island and being really cold in hmm. winter and and I think it's it's probably used in films and stuff but it definitely reminded me of sort of a opening scene where you are like setting the panoramic image of like an abandoned sort of island hmm. cool yeah mm, my second was Beethoven's fifth which um, you know like you guys said what, what is there to say about the symphony it's I think it slaps it's it's total fire did you say I it think slaps? is what the kids say today <laughs> yeah I'm trying to be cool <laughs> oh my God everyone on YouTube say that Scock's life man Scock's life <laughs> how coach yes, Beethoven's fifth is totally Scock's man <laughs> <laughs> cool cat <laughs> I think it's Second for me, I think this top two places were kind of conserved for these two symphonies because like I just knew them better, so it was easy for me to kind of you know dig deeper into them to kind of um find the themes in them a little bit easier. I don't know I you know Beethoven's fifth, I think the first movement, the one that everyone knows is just amazing, awesome use of horns. Yeah. <laughs> I think the second movement is quieter and calmer um. It has this bigness to it you know it's 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 the calm and quiet movement in the symphony but it has the feeling of importance I can't describe it any better than that and the third and fourth movements you know they're almost as one in my mind because the, the third flows into the fourth there's no clear separation between them and it's just a piece of I don't I think 20 minutes of music that starts really dramatic and then it becomes a epic you know the fourth movement specifically kind of sounds like a John Williams score um, which I don't know you can in, uh, interpret it any way that you like some people might say it's not a good thing but never mind uh, let me play a clip that kind of just the first few seconds of the fourth movement which it, it's it's not doing it right because you have to hear it with a third uh, movement but what are you gonna do um, here you go It feels victorious. It feels awesome. I can't listen to it without throwing my fists up in the air, you know? <laughs> I love it. Yeah, it's, it's so big. It's so big. Oh my God, Becky. Oh my God, Becky, look at her symphony. It's so big. <laughs> <laughs> okay, um, Barrio, uh, reveal your number one, even though like, we, we can yeah. deduce it. Like... Yeah, but for all the listeners that, that aren't following. Um, so my number one is Brahms, third. Which isn't yours, but Bram's third is a symphony that talks to a inner part part of me. I think like as as I told you, this whole list come from my mother, and I think Bram's third is probably one of her favorite because it was number one like when she gave me those symphonies, this was the first one she she came up with, so I think it's one of her favorite too, and hence it's kind of. been playing at my house my entire childhood yeah, that makes yeah sense. so listening to this but really listening to this and like diving a bit deeper um I don't know it it made a lot of things float like if uh the the new world symphony kind of took me on a journey to to far places brand third kind of took me in 
kind of made me feel a bit uh, uh, other stuff. And that was very, very interesting. And also when I went and, and read about Brahms, he also have a, a very interesting story that maybe not that interesting to, to discuss here. But a cool thing is that usually, apparently Brahms has a motto in his symphonies, um, like uh, F-A-F. Frei aber froh. Yeah, like you that. read about it? It really, it really spoke to me. It was so, it's so nice. Brahms had a friend named uh, Joseph Joachim, something like that. Joachim? Joachim, yeah. Um, he had the, the combination of F-A-E, um, which kind of stood for uh, Frei aber einsam, which means free but lonely in German. In German, yeah. Um, and and a lot of people said that uh, Brahms' motto of FAF is is uh, Frei aber froh. That means free but happy. And Brahms was uh, a single man throughout his life, and and he kind of made this brilliant creation. And in a lot of them, um, the motive was kind of like I'm I'm free but I'm happy. In this, in in Brahms' third. It's a bit different because it's like uh, F, A flat, F. And it kind of gives this whole notion of, of free but happy, this really subtle question mark of, of insecurity. And I found it like very subtle, very delicate expression of, of this this really relatable emotion. And I found, I yeah. found it wonderful. Like F, A flat, F, that's F minor uh, scale. Yeah. And minor is not usually, a minor scale is not usually uh, connected with being happy. So it's it's an interesting story. I liked it. Oh, yeah. Peter, number one, Peter. All right. Uh, my number one was a little bit predictable, but um, it is Beethoven's fifth. So um, I would say this the second movement I'm okay with, but the first, third, and fourth are just standouts to me they're my favorite movements of all of mum's classics and I, d- I don't know why but the first movement um reminded me of oompa Loompas. oh why does it remind me of oompa Loompas? i i'm don't i'm not making a claim that it's from a movie or anything like that but it just has that sort of quirky feel you know um it's oh, interesting after yeah, it, the it kind of goes like a little bit lighter and it's very expressive and it sort of has like a psychedelic feel as well towards um towards the end of it and hmm. it, it's just very catchy it's very catchy for a classic classical music wow. yeah um, piece and yeah it's a little bit predictable but it's it's good for a reason and um as a person who hasn't ever listened to it in its entirety, only knew some of the hooks, um, it is um, something I'll actually continue to listen to, which I wouldn't have predicted out of this episode. And it's got me interested to see what else he's got um, in his repertoire. So um, that's why it's my number one. And I realized that we all agreed on our fourth and fifth, but every single one of our third, second, and first rankings are different. So. Yeah. That's yeah. interesting. It is. About the Fifth Symphony, everyone kind of goes, you know, when you bring it up, everyone says, oh, yeah, the Fifth Symphony, da-da-da-da. But there's so much more to it than that. So much more. Um, and my first is uh, Dvorak's Ninth, uh, New World Symphony. I don't know. It just sounds to me like it's the most catchy one or most accessible one, which, you know, I always say catchy music is not necessarily the best, but I don't know, here with, um, you know, classical music, which is a bit more overwhelming, this being catchy kind of helped me, I think. I don't know. I think that's why I placed it in number one, but I think each and every movement in this symphony is just wonderful, you know, like, I can say that also about Beethoven's Fifth, uh, but, but here I think it's more pronounced. You know, the first movement takes, uh, I don't know, like three minutes to build up, but then it explodes and it becomes kind of grand and dramatic, but easy. It's it's an easy melody to pick up. So I think it's very um, accessible for, for like new listeners. And the second movement, I think, is where you can really hear the American folk music influences because um, the Rajaks was traveling, I think he was in America for like three or four years. Um, and that's where he kind of got to know a bunch of American music. 
And I think you can really hear it in the main theme of the second movement, which I'm going to play in a second. It always reminds me of something that could play in the background of a Civil War documentary, or kind of what I expect Little House in the Prairie to sound like, which I mean it in the most positive way, but I don't know what Little House in the Prairie really is, so I may be off. Um, but here it is, uh, the theme from the second movement. Continuing to the third and fourth, um, I think each of them has just a bunch of hooks, a bunch of themes that you can easily discern. And um, like we said earlier, they play a bunch of themes from previous movements. And this is another symphony that I already knew. I used to listen to it a lot in high school when I was studying for tests. That also gave it kind of a leg up. But it surprised me that it took the first place for me. I knew that I liked it, but I never liked it too much but now I just sat and listened to it and every time I just like had to stop whatever I was doing and just enjoy it you know I just played it closed my eyes and it it's just wonderful I think definitely amazing it definitely gets bigger and bigger with every movement I thought that one yeah it slaps <laughs> totally slaps <laughs> um well, I can definitely say that like listening to to classical music in the last couple of weeks it kind of refreshed my eagerness to listen to new music have you felt the same way i did actually only recently only the last couple of days but recently i've been listening to lots of sort of albums from artists that i've only only generally like one or two songs from i've just been listening to full albums after getting into this uh-huh. so it has it's been a bit of a shake-up for me yeah i don't know if it's because you know kind of a, a change of scenery or uh, whatever you know just listening to something that's completely different this really, really made me feel refreshed. I listened to a bunch of new music in the last not, couple of not weeks. Not only classical, I guess, right? No, not only, no. There must be some reason why we sort of go for new music and sometimes why we don't. Like, because when you're listening to new music, it, it's a bit of a risk, you know, like, because you have the choice of listening to something you already know you like or something that you don't know anything about or know less mm-hmm. about than what you obviously like already. And... I don't know why, but there's something that switches on and off for me. Like some months I'll listen to new artists every day. And then some months it'll just be one artist. Literally for three months, I can listen to one artist if I like them enough. I think it's just, you get kind of fatigued by listening to new yeah. music. It's it's tiring. It does. It, you know? it is tiring, yeah. So. But then like sinking into the familiar... Um, it's kind of hard to get out of. It's a situation that it's easy to sink into. So when you try to force yourself to listen to new things like we did with classical music now, it kind of, to me, it makes me feel refreshed. I go and explore some yeah. more. Um, something I, I, I didn't like about this last couple of weeks, <laughs> listening to a bunch of classical music, is that I've never, I don't know if you guys experienced that, but I've never heard so many recordings of people coughing in my life. What? <laughs> Why? Um, because when you look at videos of orchestras playing the symphonies in front of an audience on YouTube, there's always going to be this distinct coughing sound. And after you hear it, you can't unnotice all of the coughs and other mm. noises from the crowd. Like, I've listened to a bunch of the symphonies. Um, I, I've looked for different versions of it because every conductor does it a little different. Like, there's uh, a version of the fifth uh, symphony by Beethoven that I've listened to a couple of days ago, I think. And they just played the third and fourth movement a little too fast and it lost all the feeling, I thought. So I always try to listen to different versions of it to see what works, what what maybe brings out the feeling the most. And when you listen to, to orchestras playing the symphonies in front of live audience, you get so much coughing from the crowd. Like between movements... People don't clap, you know, to not throw off the flow of the music. Um, if you've ever been to a live symphony, to a live orchestra playing, you'll you'll know that they, they you don't clap between movements. But people do allow themselves to cough. So the, the movement ends, and instead of claps, you get like a wave of coughing. It sounds like the crowd has the plague or something. Hmm. It's such a weird experience. <laughs> I think a couple of interesting things to mention are first how much those uh you know those pieces that we heard 
and, and other classical pieces affect today's today's music because like there were a lot of parts in in those symphonies that you kind of say oh wow that that sounds like superman's intro or indiana jones or you know one of one of those uh, big uh, movies with with those very well-known themes i think there's uh, like the fourth movement in uh Beethoven's fifth sounds like a movie score which I've mentioned before and uh, I think there's a few minutes in Dvorak's either second or third movement which just sound like you, they, you can just put them in a Star Wars film and they <laughs> yeah. would just work. Yeah. I totally agree. I said they could fit in a Batman sort of film like a Batman, Batman yeah. chase. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> totally agree. Totally agree. The darker points. And, and yeah. another interesting thing I think is um, is why do you think that we all agreed on on number f- on the fifth and number four, but had a completely different uh, opening trio. All right, okay. We're all sort of on the same page. Like I feel like we all kind of we ranked them very similarly in the fact that like if like Dvor- um, Dvorak, Brahm, and Beethoven, they were all in our top three. It's not like one of us hated them and one of us loved them. So I feel like we're sort of just ranking the bottom two as they were. I kind of feel like we're in agreement, so I don't think there's that much different disagreement. But I think, to me, I ranked mine on just how much imagery and emotion it could have pulled out of me. And obviously, like, it had a bit of a bias t- towards how much I, I I listened to them. So it had a bit of a, like, a whiff of how catchy it was. Like, obviously, the more catchier ones um, yeah. I listened to more, but I I feel like it comes down to how directly they connected to sort of an emotional color almost. Um, what do you guys think? It's it's like the, the ones that were a little bit more catchy kind of popped to, to all of us, which is funny because um, Mahler's one is, I think, at least the first movement and the second movement also are, are very catchy, but I don't know, maybe they just, we, maybe we all just don't feel it as much as we felt the, the three... The, the top three. Because we all agree that there wasn't one symphony here that was boring or not good, mm. you know? Like, I think Brahms, Beethoven's, and Dvorak's just were a little bit more catchy, a little bit more accessible, a little bit more easy on the ear. Maybe it serves their feelings and themes a little bit mm. more efficiently. So we, we, we think that we both picked our top three because they were more, more catchy. But why do you think we chose differently. I mean, was it just random by chance or? So that's what I think. I think the top three, um, we, all of us as non-experienced classical music listeners thought were a bit more catchy. So we gave them more uh, airtime, if you will. And then it's kind of separated by personal preferences because like we listen to these three more than the others. Maybe if you give these five symphonies to someone who already kind of knows classical music or maybe even an expert maybe maybe the the ones that we took as top 3 would be bottom 3 you know because maybe maybe they don't rank things by how much they mm. are catchy as we did yeah i agree i think like i'm sort of on the same page as anon here where i say the bottom 2 were always going to be the bottom 2 for me and the top 3 were always going to be the top 3 um, it just, if I had to shuffle anything around, it would be the top three within themselves. So there was no way Marla was going to be in the top three, no way Sibelius was going to be in the top three, but I could easily yeah. see me listening to them more and see Dvorak was my favorite or Brahm was mm. my favorite. I could easily see that. And I think, um, I think it really was like the catchiness got the foot in the door. And then after that it was with, um, with uh, Barrio, it was more about, um, his obviously personal connection to it. For me, it was more to do with how um, sort of memorable the movements were. And Barrio, you just went with um, how loud you were playing them or something like that. Um, <laughs> Turn it up to 11. <laughs> well, actually, with yours, Barrio, I feel like Div- Dvorak's actually was the loudest in the end. Like it was, as you said, like sort of like a Star Wars theme at the end. Anon said that. And also, um, uh, your second was Beethoven, which was quite big, and then Brahms, which is a little bit more sort of like a subtle feel. So I feel like yours got bigger and bigger, mm. whereas mine got sort of catchier and catchier. Yeah, yeah, you're definitely right. I, I, and I'm, I'm, I just want to add that 
I I am going to listen to Brahms some more because I'm not as familiar with it as I was with Beethoven's or Dvorak's. And I think it might, I don't know, I, I, I think I'm going to connect to it some more and it might top Beethoven's and Dvorak's. Awesome. Yeah, and Peter, you, you went with kind of catchiness because like Beethoven's fifth is very catchy. Catchiness or memorability? like Yeah, memorability. It, I think yeah, that's, that's probably that's like a better word for it. Yeah, um, like just going over it. Um, in your head, just like oh yeah, that was that was bit was cool or something like that. So anyway, I really like the fact that you know this is what I wanted to to do with this podcast. I wanted to do like take two weeks to listen to something, have kind of a personal experience with it, and then kind of compare it with your experience uh, experiences. And I think it worked better than ever in this episode. Um, I honestly wish we could just play the entire symphonies and talk over them, but that wouldn't work. <laughs> um, I, I kind of want to encourage the listeners at home to, to go and listen to some of these uh, at least because there is a lot, a lot of beautiful uh, pieces of music here that like even if you're not a huge um, classical music listener or, or never listen to classical music, I think there's a bunch here that you can take home with you, you know? Listening to something different for a while, like I said, really sparked new interest in music in me. So if you're, if you're you know, the listener at home looking for a change or, or to listen to something new, I recommend giving this a shot. It totally worked for me. And other than these five symphonies, out of my experience, I would totally recommend listening to Beethoven's first. Um, it's extremely catchy. It's beautiful. And it's very short. It's like listening to a long song, you know? Um, and I think it's just an amazing point of entry into this world i really i'm really glad that we that we did this episode i mean this um like for me was the definition of a culture quest uh to take something that is very is is very close and kind of dive a bit deeper it definitely left me with a taste for more Uh, i think i i only started to scratch the surface of 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 interesting stuff or even from these five symphonies alone, I think there's a lot more to to take in from them. Um, so yeah, I think it was it was a good quest. Yeah, we'll definitely be back uh, listening to classical music one day. I think maybe we'll do a round two or something like that. Yeah, cool. yeah, I'll definitely be into that. Awesome. Oh wait, so in our next episode. Um, Surprise, surprise, we're going to be something that is a bit different. Uh, (laughs) We've joked about saying that every episode because, like, we always say we'll do something different and then we do a documentary movie, which was something new, or we read comic books, which we've never done before. And I kind of think that eventually we'll run out of new things to do. Like, eventually we'll do an episode about a famous painting or something. (laughs) But this time... It's it's really something different, like the premise of the episode and the format of the episode is going to be a little different. We're going to do something that we're going to call a side quest, or kind of more accurately, I went on a side quest and I want to talk about it with you guys. Our next episode is the first of what may become a series of side quests. Uh, like, next episode, instead of all of us watching a movie or reading a book or something... I've been reading up on a subject that I find interesting, and I'm going to talk to you guys about it. Um, Hopefully, we'll learn something new, and we'll, you know, be just a little bit more cultured. Um, To make it even more different than a usual episode, there's going to be a visual component to the episode. I've prepared a presentation. uh, I'll use it as a visual aid. And obviously, the presentation will be available for everyone to see, so you can follow along as you listen. It'll be on Google Slides, which you can open from any device, I think phones, tablets, uh, computers, anything. And it'll also be on YouTube as a video, so you'll be able to check it out there if you want. And obviously, I've prepared things in in a way that you can also enjoy it just by listening to it as a podcast episode. The the visual aids are going to be kind of a bonus. You don't have to follow along in order to enjoy the episode. Now, the subject I've chosen to talk about without giving away too much is the Anthropocene, or the Age of Men. Um, Like I said, I don't want to give away too much, but I'll be introducing um, an idea that is somewhat talked about in the scientific world, in the field of geology, kind of environmental science. Um, I think it's going to be very, very interesting. Like, it's something I've been reading up and kind of following for the last year or so, and um, I'd be happy to talk about it with you guys. 
um, I'll do my best to present this interesting subject to you guys, and your job will be to ask me, you know, questions, uh, discuss your thoughts about it. And I don't know, maybe in the future we'll do some more of these side quests if you guys want to do something. I know I, I already have a second subject in mind, uh, but it's still too early to talk about. Like, um, I'm still trying to see if there's enough data about it, if there's enough info about it to kind of tell a story. Um, yeah, so that's what we'll do next episode. You guys don't have to to prepare or anything. <laughs> Yay! Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I, like I said, it's something I've been following for a while, so I think I'm going to be setting the bar really high. I'm, tr- I'm going to try to blow your high expectations. Mind. Oh, no, now I, I'm going to be doing the <laughs> second one, aren't I? <laughs> Yeah, this I think uh, we're starting something cool here. Uh, I think we'll kind of we'll kind of do these side quests. Uh, I'm not promising anything, but every I don't know three or four months or so kind of depends on our uh, productivity or how much we want to put into that. Uh, but well, we'll see. So thank you, Peter, and thank you, Barrio, for staying true to our goal, and thank you, the listeners at home, for helping us along the latest stage of our quest. We hope that you join us again next episode, and we'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. See ya. See ya. Have you ever wondered how to make a shrunken head? Or why there was a cat floating up in space in 1963? Or just what it takes for a monkey to become an astronaut? Did you know that a snarky, swearing parrot ruined Andrew Jackson's funeral? and that a crew of 28 explorers drifted lost on the ice flows of Antarctica for two years during World War I? And why does fruitcake exist? If you want to excavate through the deepest primordial interiors of the human experience, reach back into time and find the stories that connect all of us to a place where real history is woven with storytelling that brings the past back to life, then come visit the History Cache podcast for some exhaustively researched historical narrative that just might inspire you to make your own history. That's Cache spelled C-A-C-H-E. It's history better than fiction. A podcast crafted for the most curious of minds. Available wherever you listen to podcasts.